Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2023, we're running our annual Radiothon, where we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of Left After Breakfast coming to you from Melbourne, Australia broadcast from the studios of 3CR your only radio left my name is Susanna Duffy in this episode we'll take a quick look at the Rupert Murdoch Empire and how it throttles Australia. What gets washed up on your beaches, you'd be surprised what ends up on your beach. Time to do a little beach combing, I reckon. And we'll hear an excerpt from Memoirs of the Bagman. But first of all, later this month, the space tourism company Virgin Galactic Holdings promises to launch its first commercial flight. I'd like to see who buys the tickets to get on that flight. Reminds me of the old saying, eat the rich. I was saddened to hear that Claire Nowland, aged 95, died last Thursday, just a week after she had been tasered to the ground by a strapping young police officer. Nowland, aged 95, and weighing less than 45 kilos, was tasered as she walked towards the police officer very slowly in her walking frame. She was obviously very frightening enough to terrify the police officer, who is suspended but on full pay. The police commissioner, Karen Webb, says the whole thing has been traumatic for everyone in the police force Well, I suppose it's pretty bloody traumatic for everyone in Claire's family as well. I tell you what, sometimes I go out with my walking frame. Well, next time I do, I'm keeping a sharp eye out for any young police officers who may just taser me as I slowly walk towards them with my frame. Claire Nowland was in a care home. Why did she weigh less than 45 kilos? What happened there? She had dementia as well. Why were the police called? And how are the police trained? It's a worry, all right. 3CR I see that France has banned domestic short-haul plane flights if there is a train alternative there. So this would rule out air travel between Paris and, say, Lyon and Bordeaux if there are trains that go to the same places and give the same service. It's an interesting thing, though, that France had set up back in 2019 a a large committee, oh, that word committee, 
to look at things. There were 210 members on this committee. It's called Citizens' Convention on Climate. And it included 150 members of the public. But that committee proposed scrapping plane journeys of under four hours. So this new law will be no domestic plane flights of under two hours. I don't know why they bother in Europe with their plane flights. They've got really good rail service and it's not so very far to get around. I mean, say you're in, in London and you want to go to Istanbul. Well, that's, you know, what, from here to Sydney? You don't even have to catch a plane from here to Sydney, do you? Still, it's a start. It's a good start. But let's leave those planes up in the sky and we'll come down to Earth, or rather, to the seaside. When were you last down the beach? When were you last beach combing? There's some really strange stuff been washing up on beaches. The last one was a mysterious round ball, 1.5 metres wide, almost perfectly spherical, and it washed up on the coast of Japan near the city of Hamamatsu. Heaven knows what it might be, though it was first thought to be a mine. Bomb experts checked. No, it's not a surveillance device. It's <laughs> it's not a Chinese spy balloon or any spy balloon. The last giant sphere that washed up was in 2019. It came up the Thames and police assumed it to be an unexploded device, but it turned out to be a giant Christmas bauble. The last couple of years we've had uh, a 24 metre long wood and metal object in Florida. People thought it could have been an old pier or a row of spectator seats from a NASCAR race. Turned out it was a shipwreck. And of course, for 35 years, residents in Brittany had been puzzled why landline telephones based on the cartoon cat Garfield were washing up on their coast. It was, of course, a lost shipping container. Then there was that rubbery material engraved with the words Tichipeta. Apparently it came from a rubber plantation in Indonesia. There was a, a layered block found at Falmouth in UK, which is probably a 100-year-old bale of rubber sheets. The same thing had been found in Shetland a couple of years back. Large foam objects regularly wash up in South Carolina. There was a life-sized Lego man washed up on an English beach. And sadly, a World War II aircraft on a Welsh beach, more than 60 years after it crashed off the coast. Plenty of whale vomit, of course, or ambergris. USA gets plenty of Civil War era cannonballs. And in 2014, 500 containers of Marlboro cigarettes. A lot of money's worth of cigarettes there washed up on beaches in the United Kingdom. Interestingly, the boxes of cigarettes were later burned to make electricity. I don't believe that. And hundreds of thousands of tyres. Shopping trolleys. Lots and lots and lots of shopping trolleys. That's not too surprising, I suppose. You see shopping trolleys everywhere. Part of the urban landscape. And now part of our seaside landscape. 
I wonder when we'll start seeing e-scooters washed up on our beaches. Keep your eye out. I suppose the most famous example of this flotsam were the plastic ducks. Those little yellow bathtub duckies, known as the friendly floaties, which fell into the Pacific from the ship the Ever Laurel in 1992, and they are still being found. But the point is, researchers can track ocean currents by all these floating things, tracking this ocean garbage, your trash, your rubbish gets washed up on someone else's beach. They've had pumice rafts from subsea volcanoes, but also printer ink cartridges, syringes, golf balls, business cards and drink bottles. The one that you can always find and never goes away are cigarette lighters, disposable cigarette lighters. They're easy to track because they have that printed information on them. So next time you're down the beach, go and have a wander along and see what you can find floating. What might have washed up on your beach? Could be anything out there, listener. Could be anything. You might even find a rubber ducky. Let me know what you pick up, won't you? enjoying your 3CR podcast. We're a community radio station that does one big fundraiser each year. Right now, we need your help to raise $275,000. We hope you can contribute. Head to 3cr.org.au slash donate and please make a tax-deductible donation. And now, back to your podcast. Yes, this is Murdoch Free Radio. But we should move to something serious. Now, I know we all get sick to death of royal commissions, but seriously, it's time for a royal commission into Murdoch. Well, into media diversity, especially focused on News Corp. Don't forget that the Murdoch media empire 
succeeded in dividing Americans and it spread anger, hatred, lies and violence. Murdoch's Fox News network convinced millions that Trump's election fraud claims were true. Now, there have been attempts in Australia to replicate this via the Murdoch News Corps media outlets, such as the Courier Mail, the Herald Sun, the Daily Telegraph and the Australian, yeah, and many local newspapers purchased by News Corp. Sky News, naturally. Radio stations, not this one, of course. And book publishers. And you can't deny the partisanship of these publishers. In many instances, they operate as the public relations outlet for the Liberal National Parties. So the dominance of News Corps in the Australian media industry really raises concerns about a similar situation happening here as it happened in USA. Rupert Murdoch is not the only billionaire who powerfully shapes Australia's media. The Seven Network 68% owned by billionaire Kerry Stokes, operates a collection of commercial free-to-air television stations in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, regional Queensland and Perth. They also have a 33% ownership in Sky News. Stokes also owns the West Australian, which is the only major newspaper in West Australia. Put a few conflicts of interest there. Media concentration raises concerns about the diversity of voices and perspectives in our democracy. News Corp's dominant position in the Australian media means that diversity of voices and perspective is significantly limited to those favourable to Murdoch. A Royal Commission would thoroughly investigate and shed light on the extent of undue influence on media practices by billionaire owners, including such issues as editorial independence, accountability and the spread of misinformation. The findings and recommendations from a Royal Commission into Murdoch would pave the way for necessary reforms, including breaking up large media conglomerates and creating regulations that safeguard the public's right to accurate and diverse information. So an Australian Royal Commission into Media Diversity with a focus on News Corp is essential to safeguard our democracy, promote media plurality and restore public trust in the media industry. Australia's media market is the most concentrated out of every democracy in the world. Our politicians have let that happen because they've been too scared to challenge Rupert Murdoch. Any functioning democracy and fair society needs strong, independent and diverse news media. A media made up of journalists who investigate fearlessly and report truthfully. But here in Australia, huge swathes of our news media have been bought up by American billionaire Rupert Murdoch and his heir apparent, Lachlan. Their company, News Corp, saturates the market, controlling so much of what the public sees and hear as their news. Any truths that are inconvenient to the Murdoch agenda are silenced. 
from the nonsensical refusal of the Liberal and National Parties to appropriately act on climate change, to the epidemic of disinformation about vaccination in our communities. The impact of Murdoch's cowboy treatment of our news media is really felt by real people across the country. In place of quality journalism, Murdoch and his inner circle of executives use the News Corp to distort the news to push their political agenda. Tabloid columnists and Sky Television shock jocks stoke fear and division in our communities to get clicks and sales. The Murdochs trade media coverage for political favours, distorting our democracy and weakening our voices. For decades, Murdoch has taught politicians that if they stand up against this media monopoly, they will be punished. But if we all work together, we can create the kind of national public pressure that our political leaders can't ignore any longer. We need a Royal Commission into Murdoch. 3CR has nothing to do with Murdoch, never has and never will. Can I just run quickly through the list of the assets owned by Murdoch? News Corp Australia, of course, at Foxtel, and Fox Sports Australia, Fox Sports News, Fox Cricket, Fox Footy, Fox League, Foxtel Networks, Fox Classics, Fox Crime, Real Life, Fox One, Fox Showcase, Fox Comedy, Fox Sci-Fi, Fox Docos, Fox Sets, Lifestyle Food, Lifestyle Home, The History Channel, A&E, which is a subscription television channel. It's a male-skewed channel that focuses on real-life content. It includes Aussie Pickers, Bogan Hunters, Demolition Man, Desert Collectors, Gus Warland Marathon Man, Mega Truckers, Porn Stars Australia, Road to Riches and Shearing Gang. Nickelodeon, which is a joint venture with Paramount. Stream Motion, Binge, the Australian News Channel, Sky News, Sky News Australia, Sky News New Zealand, Sky News on Win, Sky News Weather, news.com.au, punters.com.au, tips.com.au, onebigswitch.com.au, eurekareport.com.au, Australia's Best Recipes, that's bestrecipes.com.au delicious.com.au taste.com.au Seriously, it's enough to make you stop watching anything. There are just so many to have to go through and repeat them all for you. You'll be asleep before I am. I've stopped reading taste, that's taste.com.au and I've cancelled my subscription to the History Channel, which is a shame because I enjoyed a lot of the shows on that. But why should I support Rupert Murdoch? I always make a song and a dance, a big song and dance about never, ever touching the Herald Sun, the Daily Hun. And there I am, watching the History Channel. How mad is that? And now, as promised, an excerpt from Memoirs of the Bagman. 3CR 
Well, good morning, Bagman. How lovely to hear your voice. Oh, good morning, Susan. It's great to be back. Now, my working life began at the ripe old age of eight, selling the Afternoon Herald and the Sporting Globe outside the Royal Melbourne Showgrounds every Saturday night at the Red Hots Trots. It cost oh, thrippins. My brother Michael and I to catch the number 59 tram from our humble abode in Arden Street, North Melbourne, to the showgrounds. But if we were loaded up with newspapers, the Connies let us on for nothing. And believe me, it was a hard slog for the first few hours, but always good for tips if punters had a good night. A bob here or two bob there in tips made the measly earnings seem like a king's ransom to eight- and ten-year-old boys swinging on the tram straps on the way home to our humble shack in the middle of Kangaroo Territory. The turning point in my newspaper days was when I walked from Arden Street to the corner of Racecourse Road and Flemington every day, beginning at 6am, earning about seven shillings and sixpence for the whole week. Well, I tell you what, that was about to change on the 23rd of November when the news came through that the President, John F. Kennedy, had been assassinated. Well, you couldn't sell enough newspapers that day. We were totally run off our feet. Earning a princely sum that day of eight quid, I made a momentous decision that if a world leader was to be bumped off each week, I could live in the luxury only working-class lads could dream of. So I retired. I finished school. Retiring at the age of 13 was not a very smart move, and eight quid a day could only last so long. Now, I, I worked as an underage and illegal forklift driver on Melbourne walls at the age of 15. My father was a wolfie, but I also worked in superior conditions because of the actions of militant unions, and I mean fair dinkum unions. Jobs came and went due to the whims of those old blokes in black robes and my total disregard for authority, but I was on a steep learning curve. Another stint on parole culminated in employment at a winery, where after a short time, I was elected shop steward of the Stormen and Packers Union. 1968, senior jailer and tramways union secretary, Clario Shea. Now, this was my first foray into militant union action, and believe me, my head could have exploded with pride when my factory joined in millions of workers striking in defence of trade union principles. Another hiccup in my understanding of what I became began to interpret as ruling class law sought me to seek alternative but a rewarding position at Carlton and United Breweries in Bouverie Street. Now, I was a still naive, raw young man 
I was about to be ordered into the dark side of the moon. And can you believe this, Susan? Can you believe this? Working in the nude in 1972. The simple fact was every afternoon shift, I was required to enter the large kettles used to brew the beer and physically sweep the spent grain into a small hole in the corner. 20 minutes would have seen other shift workers, including me, entering the large kettles in 140 degrees centigrade, complete with gumboots, heavy overalls to begin the arduous task and complete it. It didn't always happen. Some workers fainted in the excessive fees. Some workers abandoned the overalls and worked in the nude. 1972 at Carlton and United Brewery. Didn't bear thinking about if you fell over in the knee-deep hot grain. Kissing your ass goodbye was forever in your mind. But on one occasion... I stayed to sit down in the kettle until assurances, <laughs> assurances were given that no worker would ever be treated this way again. What 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 you organisers sit down in uh, the bloody hot grain? No, I'd swept the grain out into the little oh, tiny hole. Oh, that's all right yeah. then. Oh. Yeah, and and I sat on the underpants, and so that they didn't burn. My lemonade and sauce. But of course, once I'd done this, I had to start with a list of demands because I wasn't going to come out. No workers, according to me, would ever have to work in the kettles without OHS supervision. No worker would be required to go back to their original position without a proper break, a shower clean overalls, and a break of at least an hour. Now, this is where it becomes dramatic, Susan. A foreman, hearing of my demands, ordered the next hot brew to take place while I was sitting on the floor. Fortunately, can you believe that? Fortunately, (laughs) fortunately, wiser heads prevailed because I'm still here. As a part of my mini-episode to come, I was also required to sweep out the, the grain silos. Now, you can imagine the Nilex silos in Richmond as an example of the size of the task. Believe it or not, Susan, I found a fat man and a skinny boy from Broadie to work in unison because I could fit into the hole in the silo and he was too fat to fall in. The job was to complete, to complete with the enormous size rats living at the bottom and to sweep the remnants of thousands of tonnes of dusty grain into another tiny hole. You must be thinking here, Susan, there's a theme here, tiny holes and skinny boys. A piece of rope was tied around my waist and the fat man up the top, who couldn't fall in, lowered me down to the bottom of the silos. At the bottom of the silo, I untied my rope, 
finally I was free of the makeshift shackles. It was probably getting too boring for the management, but I was sitting on the floor competing with the rats and on the floor again. And I wasn't coming out and until they ceased this inhuman practice. It was lonely at the bottom with only rats for company, but after a few hours of talking with the management, saw the error of their ways and employed professional to do the job. Now, you know, Susan, that I went on to a successful career in the trade union movement and joined the liquor trade unions and many other unions and went on to an international career. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for the ride. See you next week. Same time, same place. Until then, it's cheerio and ciao from Left After Breakfast.